one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus, therefore it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Get motivated and be inspired by inspiration for today. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart. I pray that your word will be revealed to me today in a way that I can understand it, so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. Give me revelation today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing with our series, The Art of War. And this week, the sermon's entitled, Unity is Strength. And in terms of this, what I want to say, it's a saying that we have We're better together. Now, we started looking at the art of war, and there's a book that was written by a guy named Sun Tzu. It was an ancient military book about military tactics and all of those sorts of things. It was written in about the 5th century BC. And today, many, many generals and uh, countries and armies actually follow the art of war. They actually use it as inspiration. And in fact, in in, in war today, they have a thing called intelligence services. And the intelligence services are spies. When you look at the spies, that comes from Shin Tzu. Now, looking at our lives, the enemy also has intelligence services. He also has spies. And he also spreads lies to us. Lies to us about where he's going to attack. Lies to us about you know, um, uh, where we're weak, where we're strong. And Ephesians 6 verse 12 talks in particular about this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, you need to understand something. And this is what we're going to be looking at the next two weeks. The enemy aims to distract us from our strengths. We have three strengths as believers. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit and the church. We already looked a little bit at the blood of Jesus last week. We'll look at a little bit more today. But um, last week we looked at the fact that we need to build the church with the power of the Holy Spirit. What I want you to realize is when we're coming together here and we're worshiping God, when we worship God with a zeal and a passion, when we start praying a prayer where we're crying out from the depths of our hearts to Almighty God, and we're really reaching out to Him, that is when when we experience God moving. Last week we also spoke about Elisha. Elisha was the guy who was the intelligence services for the King of Israel because every time the enemy of the people of Israel wanted to attack, then Elisha would tell them where they're going to attack. And when Elisha told them, the Israelites would be ready, and then what would happen is the guy's plans would be thwarted, and he thought that he had a spy in his midst. Eventually he found out, no, no, there's this guy over there, and uh, he's a prophet, and he's telling the king where you're going to attack. So they circle around him, an entire army, 
to kill one prophet and his poor servant. And the servant wakes up, comes out, you know, like in those movies. And he's busy stretching there. And then he opens his eyes and all he sees is an army around there. And he runs back inside and he tells the prophet, you know what? There's an entire army that's here to kill us. And the prophet says to him, stop worrying about this. There's more with us than what are with them. And God then asks that he would open the servant's eyes so that the servant could actually see who was with him. And then he sees these heavenly armies and pillars of fire and all sorts of things all around. And he realizes the armies that are coming to kill Elisha are no match for, for heaven's armies. Elisha then pulls out a Coca-Cola, a bag of popcorn, opens up his camping chair, sits there to watch the show. And the army that came to kill Elisha destroys themselves. And then we looked at Haggai chapter 1 verse 8, which says, Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. And so we're going to start looking at this. We need to go up to the mountains, we need to bring wood, and we need to rebuild the temple. Now, when we start talking about the temple of God and the church, which is our advantage, the church is our advantage in the spiritual war. When we're gathering together, when we meet together, when we're coming together in cell groups, when we're going out there telling people about Jesus, bringing them to church, when we're doing all of these things and we're part of this community, this is part of our weaponry against the enemy. And I want you to realize that unity is our strength. When we are united, the gates of hell cannot come against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever the enemy is able to get things right against the church, it's because we're not focused on the Lord, we don't have the mind of Christ, and we're divided. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, talking about the church, says this, For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, we looked at that last week, and now this week, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So every member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ belongs to every other member. It means every person that is sitting in this service today belongs to you and you belong to them. It means every believer that is sitting in every church around the world today belongs to you and you belong to them. You can go to Russia, you can go to Saudi Arabia, you can go to Brazil, you can go to the United States of America, you can go to Canada, you can go wherever you want to go, and wherever you go and you find believers, you belong to them, they belong to you, you're never alone. And some of us should give the Lord the biggest shout of praise, because maybe we came into service feeling a bit lonely today. Come on, give the Lord a huge shout of praise. Come on, do it with a zeal and a passion, amen. Amen. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned his church to go out and to make disciples. And every single disciple we win to Jesus, and every time we form our character in the, the we'll form the character of Christ, sorry, in those disciples, what we're doing is we're building the body of Jesus here on the earth. The church is the body of Jesus here on the earth. Now, you can't say wherever I am, the church is. No, wherever the gathering of the saints is, that's where the church is. If I'm not in the gathering of the saints, I'm not in the church. I am the church because the church is a gathering. I can't be the church on my own. 
And so every time people are one to Jesus, we're building the church. We form one body according to the, to the word and we belong to each other. And when we realize this, when we understand this, when we grab a hold of this, we, the church, become super powerful. Now, how else will we describe the church? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, do you, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is resident on the inside of you. And the temple of God is any place where the Spirit of God is. If you look in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was there by the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And so that was the temple of God. Wherever the Spirit of God is, that is the temple of God. Because you're a believer in Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, what has now happened is that your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, every place that you walk, if you want to look at an Old Testament version of this, every place where you set your feet becomes holy ground. If people come into your presence by rights, looking at what happened with Moses, they should be taking their shoes off. Amen? Some of us don't want everyone to take their shoes off. It might smell a bit, you know what I'm saying? But anyway. Then 1 Timothy 3 verse 14 and 15 says this. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how the people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So in the Old Testament, the house of God was the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, the house of God is the church. This room right now is the house of God. Every time you're running a cell group in a home, that is the house of God in that moment. Wherever the church is, the house of God is there. That's what you call the house of God. So the house of God is the church, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so how do we build the temple? And we want to start looking at that this week. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 8, we read it last week, we're going to read it again now. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and may be glorified, says the Lord. So here's the thing, when we build the temple, when we build the house of God, then God is glorified through the house of God, and He is pleased with it. There are three aspects to this. The first is, go up to the mountain. Now, in our context here, in our nation, going up to the mountain has a spiritual meaning. If you go into Europe and tell someone, go up the mountain, they're probably going to think of skiing or something like that. But yeah, what do people go to the mountain for? They go for stuff that is spiritual, right? And so what you need to realize is that what this verse is talking about when it says, go up the mountain, it is talking about a spiritual thing. Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? What I want you to understand, what the Bible is saying, is that the mountain of the Lord is the presence of God. When we go up in the mountain in a spiritual sense, we're going into the presence of Almighty God. And now the question is, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Psalm 24 verse 4 and 5a says this, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord. 
I want you to understand that what we read there in Psalm 24 is that there are some conditions for us to be able to go up the mountain. First of all, a purity of heart. A purity of heart means there's a purity in my motives. I am who I say I am. I do what I say I'm going to do. I, I, I don't have other, other motives here. I'm telling people one thing, but I've got other motives over here. I have my own agenda. So, purity of heart and also holiness of soul. You know, in order for us to have a holiness of soul, one of the things we have to do is we've got to guard our lips. We've got to guard our lips from words that do not edify, words that do not build up. We need to avoid speaking negatively and saying, oh, oh Marcus, you are finished, but you are absolutely finished. You are kaput. We never say that. Even if someone is on their deathbed, they are not finished. Even if people are on their deathbed, life has just begun for them. And what we see in terms of this, God telling Moses to go up to Mount Sinai. And when he goes up to Mount Sinai, God reveals to Moses the Ten Commandments. And he also reveals to him the instructions for building the tabernacle. So it's on the mountain that Moses receives instructions from God about building the tabernacle, about building the temple, about building the house of God. And so in order for us to know how to build the house of God, we have to get into the presence of God. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important that we come together in church. Let me tell you, church really helps us to get into the presence of God. It's when we come into a service like today that we learn how to get in the presence of God. Only later will we be able to do that on our own. It's not, it's not just something that people know how to do. People don't just know how to get into the presence of God. It's something that we have to learn. And so when we come together in church, then it, it, what, 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 what needs to happen is that we get excited. We, we act out with a zeal with an excitement, with a passion for the Lord. We worship God with everything that we have. And when we do that, He begins to move. The Lord concluded by warning Moses to do everything according to what He had shown him. So, what that, what that means is that when we're building the house of God, we need to make sure that we're doing it accurately according to the way God wants His house built, not with our own ideas. Not with our own thoughts. Not with an idea that says, I'm sure that'll do. No, no, that'll not do. There's nothing more important that you can do than building the house of God. And by the way, when you're building your family, you're building the house of God. They're one and the same thing. If you look at John's experience of prayer, because that's what happens in the house of God is prayer. And in Revelation 1 verse 10, it says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Now, when John says, I was in the Spirit, what do you assume by that? Why does John say that he was in the Spirit, if we assume that he lived in the Spirit? It must mean he was in another dimension of faith. If he was in the Spirit, he wasn't just looking at his earthly circumstances. He wasn't just looking at what was going on around him. And what was going on around him? He was on an island called Patmos, a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He was imprisoned. 
He was in the worst place he could be. They put him there because they tried to kill him. They even threw him into hot oil. They couldn't kill him. So they said, ah, we can't have this guy around. We try and kill him, we can't. Put him on this island called Patmos. In other words, his circumstances were terrible. Yet, he didn't feel terrible. He was in the spirit and the Lord begins to give him what we know as the book of Revelation. The, the Lord begins to reveal to him what's going to happen at the end of time. He sees some of the things that have already happened in the world in the day in which we live. He sees this stuff. He sees the new Jerusalem. He sees the new heaven and the new earth. He sees what the world's going to look like one day when God has made everything new. Now, Pastor Sessa himself said God spoke to him from that verse about the revelation for his church. And he says, God said to him, son, I want to teach you what I mean by being in the spirit. John's prayer was no longer the normal kind of prayer, a prayer usually prayed. It was an intense prayer, a perseverant prayer, a prayer of decision, just as Jacob experienced when he wrestled with an angel, when he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And we see that in Genesis 32. I want you to realize that God wants us to understand something about prayer. When we pray in this way, we break the glass ceiling that is above us between us and God. And God wants us to be praying prayers that break the glass ceiling between us and Him. He wants us to go way beyond the natural. He wants us to leave the world of simple logic and to enter into the kingdom of God where many of, thing, many of the things that we have in the kingdom of God are beyond logic. They don't make sense to a logical mind. And so in this way we ascend up the mountain of the Lord and we obtain the blessings that God has for us. Now listen to what, what God told Joshua in, in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Joshua and the Israelites would then go into Israel. And every inch of Israel that they won, every inch of the land of Canaan that they won, they won on the ground through through one-on-one -on -one battles. If Joshua and his army overcame and stepped foot on the land, they conquered it. But I want you to realize that that which Joshua and them conquered in the physical, Jesus wants us now to conquer in the, in, in the spiritual. We, we are now in Jesus' kingdom, and so our conquests happen in the realm of faith. And I want to tell you that the first thing the devil wants to take away from you is your vision and your desire to conquer, your spirit to conquer. Now, at the end of the day, what happens if we don't conquer? Well, just look at the mess the world's in. When the church is comfortable and the church doesn't conquer, the world ends up in the mess that it's in right now. And the world's in a huge mess. But if we step over the imaginary line and ascend up the mountain of God, we will see the blessings that the Lord has for us. And I want to tell you that no matter how bad things get, there are blessings that the Lord has for us. And we will be able to see the size of our ministry. We will be able to, see, to sense God's provision in our home. And we will be able to visualize all that we desire, both spiritually and materially. We will be able to visualize it. We will be able to visualize what the will of God is. Because God's going to speak to us. And so today, God wants to motivate you 
to ascend up to his mountain into his presence and to break away from the traditional and to leave aside the ordinary and to leave the world of simple logic and to enter into the divine land. He wants you to ascend the spiritual mountain, to enter the presence of God and to pray with all your heart until you see the blessings that God has for your life. Today, God wants you to do this. And then when you ascend the mountain, what does he tell you to do? He tells you to bring wood. So first of all, you need to be in the presence of God. And then he says to bring wood. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18a, on this rock, I will build my church. And then he said, and then he changed Simon's name, who we were speaking to, to Peter. And Peter's name meant rock. Now Peter, who Jesus had spoken about the rock on which he built his church, and the rock on which he built his church is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter is now called a rock after that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he said, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. So Jesus names Peter rock, and Peter now says, you two are a living stone. Not you're supposed to get stoned. Come on, guys. You're not supposed to get stoned. You're supposed to be a stone. Be a stone in the, in the walls of the temple of the living God. A holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. A holy priesthood is one that has gone into the presence of God and is now able to come and to mediate between the world out there and Almighty God and bring people back to God in a powerful way. Now the wood that the Lord was referring to was the cross. The wood of the cross on which Jesus died. And when he says bring wood, you cannot bring an unknown, an unknown kind of wood to God. You have to bring a wood that God knows about. I want you to understand that it is imperative that we are incredibly accurate in the kind of wood that we are bringing before Almighty God. And the Lord is telling you, come up to the mountain of God and experience the revelation of the cross. The revelation of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why you yourself, you need to come on the encounter. Because that's what the encounter is all about, is experiencing a revelation of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And bring some people with you. If you've been on an encounter before, it's not the same unless you bring some people with you. Some people have never experienced that before. Because then God will give you a whole new revelation. And He gives us a new revelation when we do what He tells us to do. And what I also want you to realize is that everything that we do in the church, it's not just about you doing what you're supposed to do. It's not just about what you can get in this life. It's about you entering into dimension with Almighty God, a spiritual dimension with Him, where you begin to see and understand things you never understood before. And so you get to know Jesus, not by tradition or by hearing about Him in history, but through a personal experience. And the way that you experience Jesus in a personal way, the first way that you'll experience Jesus in a personal way is through the cross. Identify with the cross until you feel that you are literally crucified with Jesus. Until you feel and experience Jesus' death 
almost being your own death. So that when you experience Jesus' death as being your own death, then everything that comes with you dies. Every curse dies. Every bondage dies. Sickness and oppression from the past die. And everything that has hindered you from the past is completely and utterly destroyed at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord wants you to experience a new kind of life. A life where you no longer experience the past. That everything you experience, you experience it through the lens of the cross. And it is impossible for those who have not experienced the revelation of the cross to build the house of God. It is impossible. And so, yeah, in church, we aim to, to lead every person to ensure that they have a revelation of the cross. One of the most powerful images of the revelation of the cross comes from the movie The Passion of the Christ that was made by Mel Gibson. And it shows, the, the, the part of it that really hit me is that part where Jesus is being whipped and the blood is coming out of his back. But I also want you to realize that everything about the crucifixion was written a long time before it ever happened. There are prophecies all over the Bible about the crucifixion. And the Messiah didn't suffer for his own sake. He, su he suffered because he who had no sin needed to, re to repent, not for himself, but for us. He did all this so that we could be free from the curse of bondage and eternal damnation. When we understand the revelation of the cross... Our eyes are opened. Our eyes are opened and we receive Jesus' death as our death to sin. When we understand the, re the revelation of the cross, the curse we carried, the oppression, the bondage that ruled us for years is destroyed. When we understand the revelation of the cross, we get to realize and understand for ourselves that whoever experiences the revelation of the cross will no longer allow the enemy to tempt them, to tempt him or her with the desires of the flesh. I want to tell you that you will be tempted with the desires of the flesh every time you do not have a revelation of the cross. And the flesh will be too strong for you. But when we are crucified with Christ, the flesh no longer entices us. Those desires... The desires of the flesh are no longer in us. We, know, we no longer want those things. We see them for what they are. We see them as death. We see them as being destructive. We see them as robbing us. When you understand the power of the cross, you live each day in victory. You live each day like this. Not like Manchester United. I've been chirping Kenny because Watford won on Friday night. He said, yeah, but in the championship. If you look at the log right now, Manchester United are stone lost. And Watford are near the top of the championship. So it's, it is possible that Manchester United could be in the championship next year and Watford will be in the Premier League. You will never be lost on the log when you have a revelation of the cross. Manchester United, they called the Red Devils. They need a revelation of the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. Because whoever has a revelation of Jesus will never be lost on the log. 
Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is why we say, in order to understand that verse, you have to have a revelation of the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus will not fall for temptation. If it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, if that is true for my life, and it's got to be made true every single morning, then I will be like Jesus. I will not fall for the temptation. Every day we bring our nature to the cross of Calvary. We take the wood to Him and we tell Him, Lord, today I bring my nature before You. I deny myself. I take up the cross of Jesus Christ and I follow You. I renounce my own will and I renounce my own desires and I accept Your will. When someone has a revelation of the cross, they themselves will be able to help many other people. Many other people will, will learn from them and will be able to see their lives being surrendered to the cross of Christ. Will be able to see their lives escaping the judgment and the bondage and the curses of the enemy. They will be able to see victory through any circumstance, through any situation. And the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 and 2, he said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want you to realize what Paul's saying there. This is Paul. Paul who was a Pharisee. Paul who was a young man who was a yuppie. He was a young upcoming religious scholar. He knew the Scriptures. He knew the Jewish traditions. He knew all the sacrifices and the feasts. He knew everything. He knew it all. And then he saw these stupid Christians coming along who were saying, all of that no longer matters if you believe in Jesus. Who is this Jesus guy? This Jesus guy, he was crucified in shame. And then some people stole his body and claimed he'd been risen from the grave. We need to stop this. This is a dangerous movement, he said. And all of a sudden, bam, on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus. He received a supernatural revelation of the cross, a divine revelation of the cross from Almighty God. And then he says later on to the Corinthians, and you'll find out when he did this, by the way, if you come to Tomorrowland. But he says to the Corinthians, I did not come to you with eloquence. I did not come to you with all my knowledge. I did not come to you with a superior kind of teaching. I didn't come to you with any of that stuff. I came to you, I proclaimed a testimony about God, and I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What I want to tell you is that when you go out in the world, the center of your message to any person that you come, up, uh, come in contact with has to be about the cross. It's at the cross that you find your source of inspiration. It's at the cross that you find everything that the Lord has for you. It's at the cross where you will really begin to find the Lord speaking to you, where you will really begin to hear Him. And when you come and you're at the foot of the cross, and you're experiencing Jesus as God wants you to experience Him every single day, you will find there that the Lord is telling you, 
come up to the mountain, die with Christ, experience the revelation of the cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me every single day. Why do we need to take up our cross? You know, I used to think this is such a burden. I've got to take up my cross. It's so hard to walk through life carrying my cross. And some of you, that's how you see church. That's how you see the gospel. Oh, it's such a heavy thing. Let me just chuck this pole off and I'll just go. It's easier to live like this. Phew, it feels better. No, it doesn't. You don't understand what the cross is. What the cross is, is that you are crucified with Christ. You are crucified with Jesus. You die with Him. You're spending time with Him early in the morning. In the morning, you see yourself being crucified with Jesus. And then you see this incredible thing happen. You come off the cross. But you look back, you're still there. It's not Jesus who's living in you. And when you live like this, you start to understand what we looked at a few weeks ago when we were looking at Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, offer your lives as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to him in every single way our lives become a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to to god when we have a revelation of the cross and we understand what it is that jesus did for us on the cross do you know what jesus did for you on the cross do you know how awesome the thing is that jesus did for you on the cross do you know that act of church Jesus died your death on the cross. Jesus was punished for your sin on the cross. Jesus received every every curse that, that belongs to you on his back at the cross. By the blood of Jesus, you can be set free for eternity because of the cross. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can stand before God. And the devil's going to point out everything that you did. All of those sins, all of those things that you messed up. He's going to come with all of his legal arguments against you. Telling God how bad you are. And God's going to look at him and says, I don't know what you're talking about, but all I see is Jesus. The Bible promises that when you give your heart to Jesus like this, you know what, you know what God promises you? He says to you, I will remember your sin no more. I want you to think about people that have sinned against you. I want you to think about how you hold it against them. Even when you tell people, I forgive you, you still remember. Now I remember, but it doesn't matter. No, no, but we both know what you did, eh? But it doesn't matter. I'm superior to you. That's how we forgive. Let's be honest. When you come before the cross, the blood of Jesus washes your sin away. And the Bible says, God no longer remembers your sin. It's not like God saying, ah, you know, Psalm 51 says against me only have you sinned. Yeah, now I remember what you did, but don't worry, I'll forgive you. You can come. God says, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, one day you can go and, 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 and you've had a revelation of the cross and you come before God, something from the past that's been forgiven and you start telling him about this and you start telling him that, that you know you have all of this guilt and all of this regret over things that maybe happened five, ten years ago and God's looking at you confused. And actually tells you, I think you're lying to me. Because I have no recollection of what you're talking about. This is what it means when we have a revelation of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means it is done. It means it is finished. It means it is over. It means it never will come back again. It means when the devil comes and he tells you about that thing that's in the past, you can 
as I say, when the devil reminds you about your past, you can remind him about his future. He's trying to implant his future onto you. He's trying to give you a picture of his future and make like it's your future. And you can say, by the blood of Jesus, I've been redeemed from the power of the enemy. I've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, which is where you are, devil. And I've been placed in the kingdom of Jesus, the son of God. So therefore, Jesus is my king. No wonder I'm going to submit to him because look at what he's redeemed me from. By the blood of Jesus, all my sins have been forgiven. Every single one of them, they have been forgiven. I am clean as if I'd never sinned. By the blood of Jesus, because of the fact that I fellowship with other believers and I walk in the light of Jesus, I'm cleansed every single day by the blood of Jesus. I'm cleansed now and continually of all sin. By the blood of Jesus, I have been justified. And God has seen me from that moment on as if I've never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. It means God has made me just. And by the blood of Jesus, I've been sanctified. God says, "Uh -uh, I'm taking you out there. You are special. 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 